Today on Karina and Kirsten Get to Work, we're hitting you with part one of a two-part series on women and work and COVID. And today we're going to talk the numbers. Sounds fun. Numbers. Welcome to Karina and Kirsten Get to Work. I'm Karina Hoyer. And I'm Kirsten Barron. And we're so happy you have joined us in 2021. Kirsten and I are here because we love talking about women and work. As you know, we want women to have ease, meaning, and joy in their workplace. And why not? Why not? You might as well. Let's do it. Get yourself some ease, meaning, and joy. Uh, Yeah. And get yourself... What? Some big game? You were telling <laughs> that was kind of an interesting uh, New York Times. Was Ladies, that New York Times? Get yourself some big game. This is not uh, necessarily about statistics and COVID it's today. It's completely random. But we're, what are we if we're not random, Kirsten? We are nothing if not random. <laughs> um, but there is there is some method to our random madness. Let's hear it. Okay, so Mr. Bren, as you know, my beloved, curates the news for me. I love that. Sends me interesting things. Love that man. He sent me an opinion piece from the New York Times titled, What New Science Techniques Tell Us About Ancient Women Warriors. And the takeaway from this article is spectacular. And I think it confirms what we believe in our DNA, right, in our cells, that women actually were, this is like 9,000 years ago, these, you know, when they find these preserved bodies in the ice or wherever, um, Women actually were warriors and hunters. How did they figure? So, what did they, what specifically did they find? Okay, so they found this nine thousand year old body, and it was, I believe, somewhere in the Andes, and it's a big game hunter because she, as it turns out, had this toolkit. You know, like points for projectiling things, scrapers, something that looked like a knife. And while she had, she had, she was a little, her leg bones, they said, were slim, but they assumed that she was a man until they did this fancy test to find a protein in her tooth enamel that indicates that she was female. That's so crazy. And here's the thing. It's like they found 26 other graves that they've looked at throughout the Americas. And of those 26 graves, 10 belong to women, showing that women have always been warriors, have always been hunters. And so this idea that only men hunt the woolly mammoth is factually incorrect. Wow. So they're Bridgerton. <laughs> it's funny, people that maybe don't know what Bridgerton is. How does anybody know what Bridgerton is? <laughs> But I okay, but, but, but I love that. I love the fact that twenty, that ten out of these twenty six big game hunter graves were we now know were women, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I love the narrative that women have been badasses and always all are and always have, have been. been, and that we that we are not we have not been confined to simply gathering in the hunter gatherer you know partnership. But I also think the the question is, how did we get from there to here? And that's where you reference Bridgerton, mm-hmm. which is a Netflix series that we're now, you know, binge watching. That's Obsessively. All about women and finding, you know, marriage in the time of kings and lords and dukes, which is maddening, but also entertaining. Oddly well, entertaining. Well, wear really pretty dresses. But anyway. And the balls. <laughs> go to a lot of different Simon balls. is gorgeous. But, you know, here we are. Yes, there is that. Um, But here we are now kind of 
you know, as women, I love that the narrative, I love when narratives shift. I love when with what we data. Know, with data. And I love that what we know in our hearts and what we feel down deep inside is now backed up by science. And I love asking that question, how do we get to this point now? Which really brings us shockingly in our randomness to the episode for today, which is about data. <laughs> in <How> ran- data. <laughs> <laughs> there's ran- There's order. In there's randomness, a- there's order. How data shifts the narrative. Yes, which we are going to be talking about today. Kirsten, at one point when we were planning for the show, you indicated that this was not going to be the most exciting show. No, I thought it was going to be kind of a snoozer. I thought... <laughs> Well, just because it's you know, it's, friends. It's but it's two parts, right? So my my thought was, well, the first part will be a little bit slow. The second part, where we kind of dig into what to do about it, will be more interesting and compelling. You thought that this would be interesting. No, I find it remarkably interesting because a I love it when we're able to take a look at information and mm-hmm. make some sense of it. Mm-hmm. I love to like yeah, like you take a look at the data and make sense of it. But I also love the fact that we get a chance through this show and the next one to really explore what do we mean when we say women at work. What do who are the, particularly during COVID? Particularly during I mean, I think during COVID. that's kind of the light or the situation or the backdrop for all of this. Yes. I love being able to illustrate and help our listeners understand what's happening to women during COVID, just like themselves, but also different than themselves. And I love grounding all of us in this collective experience because in many ways, it's it's the stepping stone on the path to change. Mm-hmm. It's the stepping stone on the path to this ease, meaning, and joy. And we all have a little piece of information about what the collective looks like. That's right. Well, we have a hell of a lot more than a piece of information. Well, no, I mean, individually. No, I know. We, right, I'm just joking, right. of course. But this is the point, is Absolutely. to bring together the collective information. Absolutely. And so if I could just ground us for a minute, sort of in some basic statistics about women at work so that we understand what we're talking about. We have done many, many shows about this, so I will not spend a ton of time. But I, to recap, women make up over half of the workforce. We graduate with more bachelor's degrees. We have proven ourselves to be more competent in all subjects of school, including math and science. And studies show that women hold more leadership capabilities or capacities than men overwhelmingly, right? However, we're paid less, we work more, we're promoted less, and we are in fewer manager positions. Um, that was an impressive compilation of 50 episodes. Thank you so much. Thank you to the bird outside who's also cheering me on from afar. That is a stellar's day, if our listeners so can like, hear. They're like teenagers. They're just They're just assholes. loud and rambunctious. <laughs> they they remind me of the, t- they're the teenager of the bird world, the stellar jay. The stellar jay is total teenager. Okay. And they're beautiful. They're, be- they're gorgeous. Right. That is a point aside. Okay, so. Back to women. Back to women. So we know all of that. We've said it. We've talked about it a lot. What was interesting and fascinating to me, though, or what were the what are the jobs that women are doing? So I found this great uh, Department of Labor um, statistic. It was um, part of their 100 years of celebrating women at work. And uh, we'll link it in the show notes. But you can actually go look at the top 10 women's jobs through the ages. Starting in 1920. Starting in 1920. It's fascinating. And in all candor. They've changed very little. Yeah. 
That's also very interesting. Uh, yeah. 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 hundred years. A hundred years. Little change. Very little change. So in order of top to top, you know, number one to number 10, the uh, most women occupy the highest job. Okay. Let me figure out how to say that better. <laughs> <laughs> the job that women do the most is teacher. Ner- then great nurse. Job. Great job. These are all great jobs. They're right? such great jobs. Right. But it, it's interesting to me because I, you know, I'm a white collar worker and I have been for a long time and I've worked with other white collar workers. And so when I think about women at work, I frequently think of myself. Mm-hmm. I, and the reality is that's not the case. And the reality of it is that's not the case. No, so in fact, that's the, that's, that would be the more unusual experience. Uh, we, as mm-hmm. we have seen. So teach, I'm always an anomaly. You know that, right? Mm, no. Um, okay. So teacher, nurse, home health aide, then secretary, that's number four, cashier, customer service representative, retail sales, then waitress, then a supervisor of retail sales, and then a manager that doesn't necessarily require specific knowledge. It's just like a manager of the, like the restaurant restaurant or the retail sales operation. So we have a we have a ton of badass women out here who are super smart and super great at, uh, at being who they are. And, and, and one in four has a child under 14 at home. Um, we know from our data that women are frequently working more hours at home than men. And we also know from the data that for women who are in partnership, um, they are spending even more time in COVID doing those home duties than they were before. Yeah. And they were already doing more than mm-hmm. men. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're doing these, uh, many of these jobs that we're doing are service jobs. And so we're not transitioning to working from home. We're just putting a mask on. Right. And dealing with customers. We're putting a mask on and dealing with the sick. And we know that um, the entire kind of support network around women working outside the home, school, and daycare has completely fallen apart. That's right. I just also want to do a little footnote for a fact that isn't necessarily a COVID fact, but is a working women fact. Um, Brookings Institute has determined that 7% of your income would qualify as affordable care. Like what percentage of, you know how they do those budgets, what percentage should be on housing and food and healthcare and childcare, 7%. And here's the gut punch. There is not one state in our nation that qualifies as having affordable childcare for its citizens. I know there's people out there who have affordable childcare. I get that. They are rare. Yes. Most people do not have affordable child care before COVID. Because either the wages are too low or the mm-hmm. child care is it's too, too expensive, expensive yep. too high. One of the two. Yeah. Okay. So we have, so, <laughs> so we have women doing the overwhelming uh, majority of work in the workforce and at home mm-hmm. and the very support network that we have depended on in order to do these jobs is collapsing mm-hmm. is not is in is non-existent in many and cases and the tidal wave of the pandemic is coming that's right right and maybe even on us in many respects that's right for me that was the interesting mm-hmm. thing i know that we've talked about this a lot i know we think about these things a lot but to wrap it all up into one sort of data set and realize oh my gosh 
That's what the headlines mean. Mm -hmm. When we see those headlines that the pandemic is hard on women, that women are going to lose track, that women are going to lose ground. And so that's why I'm so excited to do this show. And then also part two, where we are going to explore kind of what we can do about what it. What do we do? About really? It? Yeah. What are we going to, what mm -hmm. are we going to do about mm -hmm. it? In the meantime, though, everything that we just articulated is really having an impact on women, as we know, right? Yep. Like all of us can, all, everyone is like nodding their heads. Yeah, mm -hmm. I get it. And every study, every article that I read came back to kind of two different things. So for folks, as Karina kind of said before, for folks that are working outside of the home, their job has gotten way harder. They're dealing with masks at work and PPE and customers and coworkers who don't feel the same way, trying to figure out how to manage their childcare or their kids' school or whatever it happens to be. So if that's, if you're an outside of the home worker, it just got way more complicated. That's right. And if you're an inside, if you've gone remote working, if you're staying at home and working, the data says that we are, yes, the data says we're more productive, mm -hmm. which kind of makes me want to vomit. Because we're more productive at a cost. Yeah. At a big cost, which is we're working more, we're in more meetings, we have more mental health problems, more stress, more burnout. People have lost the distinction between work and home. Um, and so for both of these, whether you work at home or not at home or you work in both, the whole stress of the pandemic is for both of those workers, like, are, am I going to get sick? Am I going to have a job? What does the economy look like? So, you know, I think people are feeling pretty stinking anxious and stressed pretty stinking anxious and stressed and what you just said there about all about people being more productive if you are able to transition to to, to work from at home. home yeah you're more productive but the cost is is high, is, is high. and you know you're, the product productivity is because the lines between work and home are so blurred they're blurred you know it's interesting too because we didn't talk about this um when we were prepping for the show but you know, you're working so much more from home. You're more productive. If you are working from home, you're more productive. That also has an impact on your family. Oh, if yeah. you have a family. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, just as a side note, it just it was, that was something that kind of flashed. So feelings are great, right? I always say feelings are great. But they're like the gravy of the meat and potatoes and gravy. And there's the meat and the potatoes underneath. <laughs> Love your feelings. food analogies. You know Thanks my for food that. Analogies can't get off those. <laughs> so here's the card hold. The, the, here's the card hold fact. Here's, Here's the, the hard, <laughs> cold fact. Weber Shandwick is a consulting firm, and they reported in a September survey that 66% of people are thinking, women, are reporting plans to switch jobs. Yep. Plan this is like... This is like 30% higher than what we usually see in our year-end data. 66% are mm -hmm. thinking about switching jobs. One in four? More. 66% is like two in three. That's right. They're switching go. jobs. Doing your math for But you, one in four is saying, throwing in the towel altogether. Oh, we haven't even gotten to that one yet. That's right. That's right. So one in four female workers, women workers are thinking about leaving the workforce. Yeah. And you go. it's just too stinking much. Which is also interesting because then it's like, well, okay. Uh, you know, sad, but I guess, you know, you, you're shifting your priorities and you're going to leave the workforce. But no, the entire community suffers when women drop out of right. the workforce. The it's, it's interesting. I as OK, so I am one of the few women workers who I think has been in some ways benefited from this situation. Huh, I have yep. older children. Yep. They're not in my home anymore. They're big enough to educate themselves. But I think throughout my day, 
all of the time, what would I do? Because my kids are just, I mean, they're, they're just out of the house. What would I have done? What would my day have looked like? And while this has given me a lot of flexibility, it's made me more productive. I certainly am more stressed out. I certainly have a bleed between home and work. I certainly have a more anxiety. I, I feel all of those things other women feel. But there is this part of me that I think about every day at certain parts of my day is I just made myself a little toast. Yeah. I didn't have to make breakfast for anybody. Right. Right. I didn't have to check anybody's homework. Right. Criminy, I make Steve take out the dogs. <laughs> so and one in four women are doing what we're doing or or, or yep. working outside of the home with children under 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of them are single parents mm-hmm. or the breadwinner, um, et cetera. So it is an interesting and profound impact. But but I think what I was saying is, you know, not only are what we're seeing is impacting women individually, it's it provides a collective impact to community. Mm-hmm. So when we see one in four women considering losing uh, uh, leaving the workforce yeah it's an economic impact but also like we said in the beginning of this show when you have women in leadership positions your business is more profitable the data shows when you have women in leadership positions you're able to problem solve more effectively when you have women in in the workforce making decisions and making an impact the community is is better healthier it's better and it we is also healthier. know that um there's an interesting study that i cannot pull like right out of my head but i'll put it in the show notes that women are better allies at work for change sure yes so if you need to change something at work women are more likely to be your ally whether it's to increase diversity in the workforce or to increase you know healthcare options whatever it happens to be women are better allies than men Frankly, Frank. (laughs) So this information that we're presenting does not necessarily does not only impact the individual. It impacts the collective. Mm -hmm. And there are certain things that we can do about it again to foreshadow to part two of this show. But kind of grounding us on in some more of the data, the information. So we're ready for that one, Kirsten. Can I tell my favorite piece of data? Absolutely. I was just going to move into that. Drum roll, Krina. Yeah, drum roll, please. This is my favorite piece of data. And, you know, you talked about this in the beginning, just kind of the arresting nature of this data, like how it just you can just see this tidal wave coming over women and working, taking away what modest gains that we've made in the last 20 or so years. Um, And I think that's really where you start to see some big gains in those last 20 years. Not to say there haven't been gains in the last 100, I get that, but those bigger gains that we've made in the last 20 years are threatened. In September, 865,000 women left the workforce. One month, in one month, month in the U.S. But here's the deal, in the U.S. But here's the deal, September Of course they did because their kids go back to school and they are screwed. They're, I, so they're out. They're, I, I know. It's ri- it's ridiculous. And my heart goes out to these women. This is this is a heavy burden for any one person to bear. Mm-hmm. And and you're we're doing it in a society that does not provide the support network that we need in order to be successful. And we're doing it in a situation that where we're judged more harshly mm-hmm. and expected to excel. Mm-hmm. And here's the, it, you know, just as a juxtaposition to that, to that data point, that 865,000, 216,000 men left the workforce in September, one quarter. 
Yeah, one quarter of the women. One quarter. So we're leaving at the rate of four times as many women. You know, I like to put things, though, in dollars. I love money. I love to talk about money. Yeah. And women's work in the workforce amounts to $64.5 billion of wages and economic activity. Yeah, a year. So when you talk, per year, thank you. When you talk about, I love when you fix my data. Really? Like when I say... You say 865,000 instead of you're like, in the U.S. And I'm like, yes, in the U.S. Or <laughs> okay, for good. the year. Yes. I'm not that year. annoying friend over here. <laughs> no, no, I love that. I love it when we're accurate. Okay, I know so you we, do. That's why we're so good at that's this. Your that's that your thing. That is your thing. And, you know, my kids would be like, yeah, right. She does not. <laughs> <laughs> but I do. But I do. Okay, what's okay, the numbers? So back to the data. $64.5 billion in wages and economic activity attributed to women's work. So this is a very significant part of our economy. And this is why I want to do a little bit of foreshadowing of the second part of this show. Mm-hmm. Um, we look at school and daycare and healthcare and senior care, all of these different things. We look at them as social welfare programs. Yeah. And I'm going to call a big fat BS on that. These yeah. are not social welfare programs. I'm going to start beating my puffy coat just so everybody's ready for <laughs> I'll this. stomp, stomp on the gravel in the beat barn. beat my puffy coat. We need to look at these kinds of programs as economic development for our country. Yes. If we continue to look at these programs as social welfare programs, we are misnaming them and not understanding the impact that they have. These programs, these systems that we have in our community to support women working actually support our economy. And when we support our economy, there is more for everybody. That's right. A rising tide floats all boats. Yes. So that's what I want to really do in our next show with you is I want to change the conversation from social welfare, which is shit, <laughs> to economic development. That's right. That's absolutely correct. What you just articulated reminds me of this this quote, and that is that COVID-19 is hard on women in the U- because the U.S. economy is hard on women. And this virus excels at taking existing tensions and ratcheting them up. And the existing tension that you just said Mm -hmm. is that we do not give credit to all of those support networks that women rely upon in order to be successful. And here's the thing. We phrase it even as women relying on those things because those responsibilities are on our backs. That's right. Which I again call BS That's a a product of the patriarchy. Exactly, because it is the community's responsibility. It is not just women's responsibility. But what I love so much about that quote COVID is hard because the U.S. economy is hard on women, is that in all candor, this is nothing new. Everything that we have said has gone on, been a part, been an issue. And my hope is that maybe this is a little bit like an addict hitting hitting rock bottom. 
Like if things get so bad, you have to make a stinking change. Yeah. And my hope here is that things have gotten so bad. And when you talk about 66% of people wanting to switch jobs and a million women leaving the workforce, not getting laid off, yeah. leaving the workforce in, in September when school starts, my hope is that it has gotten bad enough for us to put our, you know, big girl, big boy panties on and do the work that we need to do to really bring up everybody in our economy. Yes. So there's my big ask for our next, for part two of the episode. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I also, and, and, and recognizing that the women that we're talking about, the women that we're talking about lifting up and supporting and, and, and engaging deeply with and moving, you know, forward in this economy in this community and society in their jobs are they're not only our moms and our sisters and our you know wives and our girlfriends they're our nurses and our home health aides and, and our, our teachers, teachers. Mm -hmm. they take care of our children they take care of our elderly they make our food they serve our food mm -hmm. they stock the shelves these are incredibly hardworking women valuable incredibly valuable to the inner workings of this community. And I'll bring us back down to, I guess just say back up. I'll bring us back up to the overview too, which is on a macro level, they make up a significant, you know, part of our economy. Mm -hmm. And by minimizing it, by ignoring it, by pushing it down, we push everybody down. That's right. That's right. So I cannot wait to talk about this again. Uh, stay tuned for part two in two weeks. Thank you so much, Kirsten, for letting me dig into the data. I know you thought I it was going to turn out better than I thought. I thought you, you thought it was going to be boring. Well, I got to say my favorite fact, the 865. I know that yeah. is so great. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so Thanks much, friend. Okay. And think about this listeners and if you have comments please comment on facebook or instagram send or us a send us email. an email we'd love to hear you get to work at gmail.com we'd love to hear what you think yeah thanks All right. for working take care Krina and Kirsten Get to Work is recorded and produced by yours truly, Krina Hoyer and Kirsten Barron. Find all of our episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on our website, or email us at yougettowork at gmail.com. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening! listening. <laughs>